You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, this is Tim Rice. Welcome to episode 19 of my podcast, Get Onto My Cloud. After 18 podcasts, I thought it was time I mentioned chess. Bangkok, oriental setting in the city, don't know what the city is getting. The creme de la creme of the chess world in a show with everything but Yul Brynner. Time flies, doesn't seem a minute since the Tyrolean Spa had the chess bars in it. All change, don't you know that when you play at this level there's no ordinary venue. It's Iceland, or the Philippines, or Hastings, or oh, this place. One night in
Murray Head, One Night in Bangkok. I can't remember exactly when my thoughts about writing a Cold War musical coalesced and became a project to pursue rather than a vague idea, but it was certainly quite a while before the musical chess took shape. Back in 1971, when Andrew Lloyd Webber and I were enjoying the initial success of Jesus Christ Superstar in America, I thought that writing a musical about the Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, Kennedy versus Khrushchev, would be an intriguing idea as a follow-up to our unexpected blockbuster. It might well have been, but it never got off the starting blocks, although our eventual success post-superstar, Evita, was certainly a political tale. In 1973, Andrew and I went to Reykjavik to see the Icelandic version of Superstar. The city had been the venue of a big international news story a few months before, when it hosted the World Chess Championship between the then world champion Boris Spassky of the Soviet Union and the upstart American challenger Bobby Fischer. The Soviets had dominated world chess for many, many years. Since 1948, an unbroken run of champs, from Mikhail Botvinnik through Smyslov, Tal, Pestrosian to Spassky. The last American to hold the title was Wilhelm Steinitz back in 1894, and even he was originally an Austrian chess grandmaster who'd emigrated first to the United Kingdom and then to the United States. He was already champion when he became an American citizen in 1888, and he held the title for a further six years. So, a world-class American player was very unusual unexpected in the 1970s, at which time the Cold War was still raging, if indeed a Cold War can rage. It dominated international politics anyway, if not with quite the same terrifying fervour of 1962. Wandering around the delightful chilly and dog-free streets of Reykjavik in February 1973, I should make it clear I love dogs, but not on the roads and pavements of cities. It was clear that the Fischer-Spassky clash was more than just a recent memory for the Icelanders. There were still chess window displays in department stores, posters of the players on many a wall, and it was a leading topic of conversation with our Icelandic hosts. One of the particularly interesting aspects of the championship from the Western point of view was that our guy, Bobby Fischer, fighting for Uncle Sam and democracy and freedom, was clearly at best a nutter and at worst a grade-A shit, fighting purely for Bobby Fischer. Whereas Boris who should have been the evil commie, came over as a delightful fellow. There was enormous interest in the match all around the globe, and the political ramifications were huge, at least in the eyes of the world's media, with Fisher's antics, certainly deliberate, ratcheting up the interest in a sport which had not often previously attracted more than very specialised attention. Fisher triumphed and became world champion despite forfeiting the second game of a scheduled 24 when he refused to play unless several financial and organisational arrangements were altered, such as the removal of television cameras. His behaviour throughout the contest was erratic and an unpleasant contrast to that of Spassky. Nevertheless, Fisher was beyond doubt a player of exceptional genius, great box office, inspiring huge female fan letter attention and attracting outlandish financial and commercial offers. He is still rated by many as the best of all time. He never defended his title, of which he was stripped in 1975, when the Chess World Federation refused to accept his latest conditions and demands for his return to the chess arena. I came back from Iceland feeling that this could be the basis of a new, very different contemporary musical. 
I was never a player of the slightest talent, but I was certain that the worldwide interest in what had hitherto been rather an esoteric occupation could be reproduced on stage, as these brilliant performers, outrageous Fisher and sympathetic Spassky, had demonstrated. My research into the chess world and its players soon revealed that there was a lot more going on off the board than on. Defections, love affairs, exotic locations, and of course the political agenda, these were all ingredients for a potentially enthralling and wildly different theatrical piece. However, by late 1973, I'd already had the idea for a musical about Ava Perron, and I put my chess idea onto the back burner for a bit.
Elaine Page and Barbara Dixon. Fast forward to 1981 and Evita had happened and done well. Andrew decided to follow Evita with Cats, a project that did not need a lyricist, as the words were to be T.S. Eliot's 1939 poetry collection, Old Possum's Book of Practical Cats. Like Andrew, wanting to write something with a lighter topic than Ava Perron's story had been, I wrote what I hoped would be a successor to Joseph, Blondel, with Stephen Oliver, which I featured in Get Onto My Cloud, episode 15. But my chess idea continued to grow. At last I got down to drafting a story which featured fictitious American and Soviet chess players competing for the world championship with extreme political and romantic distractions. I created the leading characters Freddy Trumper, Anatoly Sergievsky, and Florence Fassi, the woman whose life becomes entangled with both men. I should stress that Trumper's name was inspired by a 19th and early 20th century Australian test cricketer, Victor Trumper, not by any future US president, as I'd never heard of the current occupier of the White House in 1981, the good old days. All I needed now was someone to write the music. I tentatively approached some top contemporary composers, including Marvin Hamlish and Mike Batt. For one reason or another, nothing came of these very preliminary conversations. I also talked to Andrew about it, and he certainly did not dismiss it out of hand, but he had other more important commitments. Cats opened very successfully in London in May 1981, and discussions did not proceed. Later in 1981, I was in New York for a week or two, catching up with things, I guess, and I was approached by Richard Voss, an executive with the Nederlander Theatrical Empire. We met because he had an idea for a musical that featured the music and life of Barry Manilow. I was flattered to be considered, but couldn't really see what I could contribute to the proceedings, as any show about Barry Manilow should surely feature music and words by Barry Manilow. And there was already an impressive catalogue of hits from that distinguished source, which could hardly be left out of such a production. So I passed on that one. Richard then asked me if I'd heard of Arbor. I wasn't really sure what he was talking about or what Arbor was. It sounded like some sort of horticultural venture. Perhaps he was suggesting a musical about trees, which was probably no more bonkers than a musical about cats. Surely you know Arbor, said Richard. Waterloo, Mamma Mia, Dancing Queen. Oh, Abba! I clicked. Of course, the biggest recording stars in the world at the time albeit not quite as massive in the States as in every other country of the world. Richard Voss went on to explain that Bjorn Ulvaeus and Benny Anderson, ABBA's genius songwriters, were keen to work in musical theatre, even though at that time ABBA was still going strong. I was immediately intrigued, as my admiration for Bjorn and Benny knew no bounds. And although one or two critics still dismissed them back then as just another very good pop band, I'd thought for years that their songs and record production put them up there with the very best in the business. Of course, I was right. Maybe this was the answer to my quest for a co-writer, or in this case, co-writers. Although I'd never met Bjorn and Benny, I did have a strong connection in that their manager, Stig Andersson, a very powerful Swedish music industry figure, had represented my work with Andrew in Scandinavia, publishing our songs there. We'd met him back in 1971, when we went to Stockholm to see the Swedish version of Jesus Christ Superstar, which incidentally included a young Agneta Folskog in the cast. Both Agneta and Frida had recorded Swedish versions of songs from Superstar, well before the formation of ABBA, of course. So it was not difficult to fix a meeting with 50% of ABBA. On the 15th of December, 1981, I travelled to Stockholm, a city I'd always liked enormously, 
and I was introduced to Bjorn and Benny by Stig. They had been given advance warning about my strange idea, which they said had particular appeal for them, as their nation, geographically, was delicately placed between East and West. As I genuinely loved their work, and, as Richard Vosser told me, they were interested in expanding their musical ambitions to include theatre, we got on well, plus the fact that they were nice blokes. At dinner that evening, they didn't immediately say over the pickled herring and other smorgasbord delights that they would start tomorrow, but they were clearly fascinated by my idea. We met again the following day, and Benny in particular seemed enthusiastic. I hadn't realised at that point that in the creation of Abba's superb catalogue of hits, Benny was the driving force behind the music, and Bjorn behind the words. However, Bjorn was also an accomplished musician, and an important contributor to that side of the creative process. But I'm sure he felt concerned that to bring another lyricist into the mix might have downgraded his contribution. Bjorn's command of the English language is outstanding, and so many of the greatest ABBA songs have, in my view, struck a powerful chord because of the brilliant portrayal of emotional turmoil that his words, written in his second language, conveyed. The more serious songs, such as The Winner Takes It All, One of Us, and Knowing Me, Knowing You, and there are many others, feature the always irresistible combination of romantic and positive melody, sometimes almost jaunty, with sad, realistic words with which everyone can identify. Throw in two beautiful lead singing voices, and small wonder that Abba conquered the world, a process that began when they stepped onto the stage in Brighton in the 1974 Eurovision Song Contest. Before I left Stockholm, I heard the wonderful news that Bjorn and Benny would definitely like to proceed with chess. We worked well together as a trio, became good friends, despite the occasional artistic panic, and Bjorn, who wrote some of the best lines in both departments, was a crucial bridge between me and Benny. There are myriad tales to tell about chess, a show that's occupied more of my time and has had more triumphs and disasters than any other project with which I've been involved. I certainly intend to tell the stories, well, most of them, in future podcasts. I've literally dozens of recordings that were made during the making of the initial album in 1984 which have never seen the light of day. Outtakes, earlier mixes, songs and scenes which were dropped altogether, and so forth. For now, for this initial chess episode, I chose to play the three songs that are perhaps the best known. Here's the third, Anthem, sung by the magnificent Tommy Korberg. Through wars, death, 
Episode 19 of Get Onto My Cloud, the podcast written and presented by me, Tim Rice, and produced by Peter Hobbs. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.